Our sermon today will be taken from Galatians chapter 4, 21 to 31. This is the word of God. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not the children of the slave, but of the free woman. Thus says the Lord. Thanks, Josh. If this is your first time with us, we are going through the series of uh, the book of Galatians. So we're going through the whole book, chapters 1 to chapter 6. And right now we're at chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. Uh, there's recordings of it if you want to listen to the previous sermons, not because they're really that good, but just because if you want to get a context of, of, uh, of, of what we're talking about so you know where we are in the sermon. Uh, so that's in SoundCloud, and we can, we can get that to you as well. Today we're going to continue in Galatians chapter 4, and it's a pretty weird passage. It's, it's different than any of the passage in Galatians we, we've looked at now. Um, we know from the past few weeks that Paul, throughout the book of Galatians, has really fought hard to protect the Christians in a region called Galatia from what we've called legalism. Legalism is something that was promoted by a group called the Circumcision Group that came to Galatia at that time and kind of confused the churches there. They were saying, legalism says, that we are saved, we can be blessed by God, we can have a relationship with God, if we succeed in obeying God's laws. You succeed obeying God's laws, you therefore are blessed. You succeed in obeying God's law, you therefore have a relationship with him. That's legalism. And we see Paul saying that is not what the Bible teaches. That is not what we see in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. Um, and these people are not uh, uh, telling you what is true. And this week, we're going to approach the text a little bit differently. We're going to see how in the past, in the past few chapters in Galatians, Paul kind of gives us reasons of why legalism is unbiblical. Why it's not the way that God has revealed through Scripture as the path in how man is to get to God. But this week is a little bit different. This week, he doesn't just tell us the conclusion. He tells us how he got there. Have you ever heard the saying, you give someone a fish and you relieve their hunger for a day. But if you teach them how to fish, you'll feed them for a lifetime. You've heard that saying before? That When people say that, what they're trying to say is, if you just give someone food, that's not bad, that's good. But if you give somebody the skills on top of that to get food, that's even better. Because you're not just giving them a one-time meal, you're giving them the skills to feed themselves in the future. 
This is what Paul does in this passage. He doesn't just give us a one-time meal. He does that, yes, but he also shows us how to fish. He shows us how to get meat from the Bible, how to do it properly, so that our fight against legalism won't just stop on Sunday mornings, but it can be done throughout the week as we all read the Bible for ourselves. Paul here tells us how we are to read the scriptures properly. So, Let's dig into our passage today and learn from Paul, and we'll also see Jesus later tell us how it is we're supposed to approach the Bible, the scriptures. And I I, I believe that if we really grasp this, um, it will really affect our hearts and our beings, not just our minds. So there's three things I want to point point out from the sermon today, from the passage today. Number one, the Bible is basically not about us. Number two, the Bible is basically about God. Number three, the Bible read this way will truly change us. First, the Bible is basically not about us. Two, the Bible is basically about God. Three, the Bible read this way will truly change us. Let me pray before we jump into our first point. Lord, what a privilege it is to have the words of a holy God, to have the very words of the one who is a creator of the universe, the king of all things. You have spoken to us. What a joy, what a privilege, and thank you for giving us the ways in which to handle your word as well. Let us not take it lightly. These are the words of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we continue, can I just apologize to Liz at the end? There's complications with the, with the slides. That's not her fault. That's my fault. Uh, the computer was messing up, and uh, so I'm, so I'm sorry about that, but we'll, 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 uh, we'll fix that in the future. So anyways, just wanted to apologize about that. All right, first point. So if it happens again, it's my fault, okay? First point. The Bible is basically not about us. I believe a big reason why we fall into legalism, a big reason why we think that we can earn God's favor, we can earn God's blessing by obeying Him, is because when we study the Bible or when we hear it being preached, it's done in such a way that assumes the Bible is all about us. This kind of Bible reading promotes legalism. Legalism says, I do, or I obey, God pays. That's legalism. I obey, God pays. If I obey in this way, I will get this. If I obey in that way, I will get that. If I'm righteous enough, I'll be protected from hardships. If I do good enough things in life, I'll be blessed from God in return for my obedience. I obey, God pays. That's legalism. Paul says that is not what the Bible teaches. And that comes out of a wrong way of reading the Bible. See, it is about what we get based on what we do. It's all about us. Paul rebukes the legalistic circumcision group for this. Look at verse 21. Tell me, You who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? To be under the law means to earn righteousness by obeying the law, to earn a relationship with God by our obedience in the law. You who want to be under the law, tell me, you who want to earn blessings and salvations through obeying the law, you who think I obey God pays, do you not listen to the law? So apparently when we're under the law, when we're living legalistically, when we're saying that my obedience makes God owe me something, we're not really listening to the law. Now, the law is a way to describe the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, 
right? That's what the law is. That's how people used the word law back then. So what Paul is saying, if you think the Old Testament, the Bible, the Word of God, is promoting this kind of way of life, you're not listening to it properly. And this, is what kind of a, this was kind of a jab to the legalistic circumcision group. Because these guys, they promoted legalism, but they really knew their Bibles well. They were, remember, they were, they were, they were Jewish people um, who prided themselves from knowing the Torah, knowing the law. Some Pharisees in Jesus' day, we know, even memorized the whole first five books of the, test, of the Old Testament. And Paul is telling them, you who claim to be experts of the law, you who memorize every single word of the law, you who know every cranny and, and every word in the law, you don't really know the law. That was a jab Paul made to them. Now, how can Paul say that a bunch of people who knew the Torah, who knew the law like the back of their own hands, how can Paul say that they don't really know it? Because as they read it, as they memorize it, as they study it, it's done in a whole framework that is wrong. Their framework is to think that it's basically about them, that the Bible is basically about us. They're reading, memorizing, studying the Word of God with man-centered lenses on. So no matter how much they read it, no matter how much they memorize it, they won't really hear it. Because the lenses they have on are man-centered lenses. Paul continues then, the rest of the passage, as we've read, with a specific Old Testament story. You saw the name Abraham a few times mentioned in that passage. Paul was talking about Abraham. And if you guys remember, these circumcision legalistic group people who promoted, who promoted the I obey God pays method, they, 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 they based that mainly on the story of Abraham, right? They said, Abraham obeyed God, and he was blessed, so we too should then obey God and therefore be blessed. And Paul is attacking their very argument, okay? This is how the legalistic group interpreted the story of Abraham. This is how, if we wear man-centered lenses on, if we think the Bible is mainly about us, this is how we understand the story of Abraham. This is how they understood the story of Abraham. They think the hero of the story is who? Abraham. He's the hero, right? Why is he a hero? Because he obeyed God's commandments. God blessed him with Isaac, remember the story? On the basis of Abraham's obedience to God. The hero is Abraham. He was blessed because of his obedience. So if we want to be blessed by God... We then also must look like Abraham. We then also do what Abraham did so that we can earn God's blessing. See, if you read the story of Abraham with man-centered lenses on, that's the conclusion we will get to. The hero is a man. He was a hero because he obeyed God's commandments. Therefore, he's blessed by God. If we want to be blessed by God's commandments, we then too must obey God like this human hero did. That's why the legalistic circumcision group promoted circumcision. Remember, that was a practice back in Abraham's day. If you want to be blessed like Abraham, you've got to do everything he did. If this is how we read the Bible, we will lose the true essence of Christianity. It will be go away. It will dissolve. The uniqueness that the gospel has in comparison to any other religion will disappear. And the uniqueness of Christianity is this, is that there is no human hero. Paul says if we read the Bible in such a way that we think I obey God pays with man-centered lenses on, we'll forget the uniqueness of the gospel. You can memorize it all you want. You can study it all you want. You can even know every single word of the story of Abraham, but you won't really truly hear it. 
So, how are we supposed to read the Bible? To where we can truly hear what God's trying to say, what he wants to tell us through his word. This is important because these are the words of God. And if we look at it through man-centered lenses on, we'll never truly hear it. You can memorize the whole Bible, but if you have those lenses on, you won't hear what he's trying to say. This is the way we can hear the words of God. Now, that's a huge claim for a 30-year-old guy to make, I know. But I'm not the one making it. Paul did. And we see Jesus also was the one who made it, which leads us to our second point. We must not read the Bible with man-centered lenses on. We have to read it with God-centered lenses on. Okay, number two, the Bible is basically about God. Now, to read the Bible in such a way, to truly hear the law, to truly hear what God's trying to say in Scripture, Paul and Jesus tells us we must take off our man-centered lenses on and put on our Christ-centered lenses. When we actually read the whole story of Abraham, we will quickly see that it's not an I obey, God pays method. That it's not because Abraham did good things, God rewarded him with other things. That's not what happened. This is why Paul went through the passage, let, let, the, the story. Let's look at it again, verses 22 and 23. Um, this is how Paul interprets the story of Abraham. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by slave woman and one by free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh while the son of the free was born through promise. Paul is saying, don't forget, before God blessed Abraham with Isaac, what happened? He committed adultery. He had a child with another person. He had a child with Hagar, right? Ishmael. He's not the hero. Abraham was not obedient before God blessed him with Isaac. Do you remember the story? God, God told Abraham and Sarah that you will have a son, a promised child, named, and you'll, which is Isaac, and I will give him to you. But then later on, Abraham and Sarah got too old, and they were really scared uh, about um, God not coming through with his promises, so they devised their own methods to earn what God has promised, and Sarah told Abraham to what? Go sleep with Hagar, because we need a child. We're getting old. We need a child. So, and I don't know if God's going to really come through with this promise, so I want you to do that. And Abraham said, okay, I doubt God too. So he did that. And is, what we get, is where they got Ishmael from. See, that was the son that was born out of flesh, out of Abraham's sin. He doubted God's promise, and he took matters into his own hands, encouraged by Sarah, and had a child with their Egyptian servant named Hagar. The child is Ishmael. That's what verse 23 means. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, according to sin. Ishmael was born according to flesh. Whose sin? Not Hagar's sin. Abraham's sin. Sarah's sin. They doubted God's promise. They were not obedient before God blessed them. But then we see in verse 22, 23, even after their disobedience, God still gave them Isaac. Through Sarah, the free woman. While the son of the free woman was born through promise. Even after Abraham and Sarah was disobedient, God still gave them Isaac. One not born of the flesh, one born of promise. One not born of self-effort, one not born of man's own means, but through God's mercy and God's faithful promise, even in the midst of human disobedience. That's what Abraham's about. God was still blessing Abraham, even when he was making decisions through his flesh. 
still blessed Abraham in the midst of his unfaithfulness, his disobedience, and his lack of trust to God. Paul says Abraham did not earn God's blessing because of his obedience. Abraham did not make God fulfill his promise to him because he was so impressed at Abraham's faithfulness. Abraham did not earn his way into God's favor. Abraham is not the hero. God blessed Abraham. God had favor onto Abraham because he's a merciful God. Not because God was so impressed by an obedient man, but because he was merciful to a sinner. That's what Abraham's about. He was not obedient. See, there's no human hero in the story. It's not about us. Let's, let's take a look at everyone involved. Abraham was disobedient. Yet God had mercy on him at the end by giving him a child, Isaac, who then becomes the father of Israel, a whole nation. Sarah, the one who encouraged Abraham's disobedience, and eventually treated Hagar very poorly and kicked her out, God still blessed her at the end, also by giving her Isaac. Hagar, the Egyptian, the servant, she was weak, she was helpless, she was not strong and heroic, and after being kicked out by Sarah, was saved by God at the end, by saving her and her child in the midst of the um, desert. Ishmael was no angel either. Look at verse 29, look what Paul says there. He who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the, to the spirit, Isaac. Ishmael persecuted Isaac. You see this in Genesis 21 verse 9, where Ishmael was kind of laughing at Isaac. We don't really know why, but there was some kind of tension between them, and, and Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. But God had mercy at him at the end and made him into a great nation himself. This is what Paul's saying. The point of Abraham is that there is no human heroes no one in the story deserved to be blessed by God. No one in the story earned God's favor because of their obedience, or because they were strong, or because they were righteous, or because they were humble. They were actually all disobedient, Abraham, promoting disobedience, Sarah, weak and helpless, Hagar, or prideful and spiteful, Ishmael. There are no human heroes, but yet God had mercy. That's what Abraham is about. So when you look at the full story, it kills the man-centered interpretation that the legalistic group comes up with or had. God did not bless or save anyone in that story because they deserved it or earned it, because, but because he was merciful. God is the hero. No man. Why in the world, then, would we today think that God saves us, that God blesses us, that we can have a relationship with God because of our obedience. Where did that come from? Why do we think we can earn God's favor because we're strong, or because of our own righteousness, or because of our own morality, or because of our own character, or because how many times we go to church, or because how many times we read the Bible? Where did that come from? It's not in the Bible. The story of Abraham, along with the rest of the Bible, basically is not about man. It is basically about a merciful God who pursues sinful men. It's all about Jesus. See, this way of reading the Bible, not only this is Paul's method, but it's also Jesus' method, okay? So I know some people doubt Paul's theology, so let's see what Jesus says, okay? This is how he says it, uh, this is how he describes how we are to interpret the Bible. This is what Jesus says the Bible is about when he was talking to his disciples um, in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 47, I believe it's on the screen. Then he said to them, his disciples, Jesus, to his disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about who? 
everything written about me, about Jesus, in the law of Moses, the first five books, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms, must be fulfilled. Everything in the Old Testament is about me. Then, and only then, did he open their minds to understand the scriptures, and said to them, thus it is written, where was it written? In the Old Testament, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. That's what the Bible is about. It's about Jesus. Every word, every passage points to Christ. How does God pursue disobedient, helpless, sinful, prideful people like Abraham and Sarah and all those guys? How does he pursue disobedient, sinful, prideful people like us here today? By suffering and dying on that cross. And by rising again on the third day, and thus making the forgiveness of sin available to all nations. That's what it's about. This is what the law is about. This is what Abraham was about. This is what the Psalms are about. This is what Proverbs is about. This is what Song of Solomon was about. This is what Leviticus is about. It's about Christ. It's about the pursuit of God to sinful man. And unless we read the Bible with Christ-centered lenses on, we won't truly hear what it's trying to say. Our minds, Jesus says, won't be opened to the scriptures. Only then were the disciples' minds open to the scriptures. Then turned to disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. This is, this is what Jesus tells his disciples after explaining what the scriptures is about. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. We have eyes that see, we have ears that hear, but do they truly see? Are they truly hearing what God is shouting in the whole Bible? That he is relentlessly pursuing you. He is relentlessly in love with you. And he would go as far as unto a cross to have you. Read the Bible with Christ-centered lenses on. Until then, we can read it, we can memorize it, we can study it, we can labor in it until our strength is gone. But we won't really hear it. We'll be merely like the Pharisees who Jesus rebuked in John chapter 5, verse 39 to 40. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They think it's I obey, God pays. They think it's I do, I earn. It's about them. God is saying it's not about you. It's about me. So as you read any passage in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, every word you read, hear him tell you how crazy he is for you. Just how far he would go to seek you. Just how much he would pay so that he can have you. This kind of Bible reading is your ultimate weapon against legalism. To read and see and hear his love for you in all of scripture daily. It'll cause us to fall in deeper love with him. It'll cause us to fall in deeper, deeper worship of him. And say like the song, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Not to earn it but because it's yours through Christ. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying the Bible is only about God's love for sinners. It's about many other things. It teaches us theology, 
who God is, his characters, his Trinitarian nature. It teaches us about the end times, teaches us about the nature of the church and church government, about marriage, about ethics, about character, integrity, forgiveness. It says about a lot of things, but all of it relates to God's redemptive plan. God's character, right? It talks about God's character. Where, if not on the cross, is God's character most revealed in the Bible? God's Trinitarian nature plays a huge role in our salvation as it relates to the cross. Or church structure. What is the motivation for elders not to spiritually abuse their members? And what is the motivation for members to follow their elders at church? Is it not the cross? Marriage. What's the basis of marriage? Is it not the cross? What's the basis of how we relate to each other? How, how do we navigate through what happened November 4th? Why in the world would Christians even for a second consider to forgive and love those people? Why? Why would we even for a second consider to share the gospel to them? Because of the cross. The Bible talks about a lot of things, but it relates back to Christ, to the gospel, to the cross. It's what motivates us, it's what moves us, it's what shapes us, it's what grows us. And unless we see all of it accumulating, fulfilling in the cross, we haven't really heard it. Now, reading the Bible this way will change us. It really will grow us, becoming those who are more like Christ, which leads us to our third point. The Bible read this way will truly change us. We see here that Paul views the scripture with Christ-centered lenses on. And he was living life differently than the circumcision group who had man-centered lenses on. And we see there a difference in their lives. We see Paul, who read the Bible with Christ-centered lenses on, lived in a Christ-centered humility. But the circumcision group, the legalistic group, that read the Bible with man-centered lenses on, lived their lives with self-centered pride. Reading the Bible with Christ-centered lenses on will lead to Christ-centered humility. Reading the Bible with man-centered lenses on will lead to self-centered pride. We see this in verses 24 to 26 and also verse 30 to 31. Um, as we read these verses, I'm about to read it in a second, and you follow along, at face value, it's going to kind of make Paul sound a little bit prideful. It is. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to sound like he's saying, cast out the slaves. We're, we're better than slaves. But that's not what he's saying. Let's, let's dig deeper into this passage to really see um, what, Paul is, what Paul is trying to say. Verse 24 to 26. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants, okay? The two women we talked about was Hagar and Sarah. They're two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Hagar, the servant, right? He is, she is, representing uh, Mount Sinai. By the way, what did God give Moses on Mount Sinai? The law, right? So, so that represents the law. That represents those who want to who wanna earn righteousness, earn their salvation from the law. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is, not present now, but present in Paul's time. For she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. I'll explain that more later. Let's go to verse 30, 31 for now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. See, it sounds like Paul is saying, we're not slaves, we're better than slaves. Cast out those unworthy slaves. That's not what he's saying. Remember the context here. Okay, let's recap the first two points. 
What is, who is Paul combating? Paul is combating the legalistic circumcision group who says you're saved by your obedience to the law. Abraham, good, saved by obedience. Sarah, good, saved by obedience. Hagar, bad, Egyptian, non-Israelite, slave. Ishmael, bad, son of a slave. That's how they understood the story of Abraham, right? If you, want, if you don't want to be slaves, if you want to be free, you have to be like Abraham and Sarah who obeyed. What Paul is doing here in verses 24, 26, and 30, 31 is he flipped their whole system upside down. He's saying, if you read the story in its entirety, if you read the story carefully, if you actually listened to the law, to the story of Abraham, you will see that there's no human hero. There's no one in there that deserves freedom, that deserves blessing. The only hero is God who did that on the cross for us. See, what frees us is not our ability to obey, but the forgiveness of God on the cross. This is how we become free, Paul said in point, in point two we just talked about, right? Not by obeying the law again. Now, this is a jab again to the circumcision group. The circumcision group was saying, we are free we are obedient. They came in with their pumped up chests into this non-Israelite region in Galatia and said, you guys want to be God's people? You guys want to be free? You better earn it. You better earn it like Abraham did. You better earn it like we've earned it. Until then, you're slaves like Hagar. Until then, you're weak. You're not good enough. But Paul is saying, you misunderstand the Bible. You must understand the whole thing. No one's free. No one deserves salvation. You're freed in Christ and through Christ alone. You know who the ones who are under the law? You are. They're, they're coming and they're saying, I obey like Abraham obeyed. I'm free. You don't obey like Abraham obeyed. You're slaves. Paul is saying, uh-uh. These guys who are weak, these guys who realize they're sinful, these guys who realize they need Christ, these guys who realize that God is the hero, they're the free ones. You're the slaves. <laughs> that was offensive. But we obeyed the law. But we, we've done all these things right. That's right. You're in slavery under the law. Because you think by obeying the law, you can be free. You are the slaves. Who are the slaves? Not the weak ones. Not the disobedient ones. Not the helpless ones. Not the immoral ones. Not the ones who realize they're sinful. Not the ones who know they need Christ. But the ones who are still trying to earn their salvation through the law. They're in slavery. The prideful legalistic ones. These are the ones enchained by the law. Look at verse 25 again. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. These Jewish people, these, these people who back then came from Jerusalem um, and, and, and taught legalism, Paul is saying that they're in slavery. There's nothing wrong with Jewish nationality in itself. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying these guys just happened to come from Jerusalem at the time. Okay, The legalistic heart is what's wrong. Not any nation, not any race, not any not any gender or anything like that. But these guys came from Jerusalem. Paul's saying, they're the ones in slavery, not you. People who desire to be under the law, people who desire to go back to Mount Sinai, back to the law, they're the slaves. The circumcision group, with all their righteousness, with all their pompousness, with all their pride, looked down on weak Galatian Christians and said, you weak, sinful slaves. You want to be free? You want to be part of God's people? Be like us. Paul turns that around and says, you are the ones who are enslaved. You are the ones who, are bound your, who have bound your slaves back to the chains of the law. The weak ones are the free. What did Jesus tell us in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the who? The poor in spirit. Not the strong. Blessed are who? Mourn. 
Blessed are those who are what? Meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not the ones who think that they're already righteous in themselves. The poor, the ones who mourn, the ones who are weak, the ones who are hungry and thirsty, they shall be satisfied. They shall receive mercy. They shall see God. What Paul is saying here is actually very humble, very bold thing. You want to be free? Go to Christ. Receive him. It's humility. Look at verse 31. He says, So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. He's calling these Galatians weak, Galatian Christians, he's calling them brothers. Paul was Jewish. Paul was an Israelite. Paul had a history of, uh, of, of, of I don't know, being a really good Jewish guy. He just had a history of righteousness. And Paul's saying, you are my brothers because you are weak, because you're sinful, because you're in need of help just like me. The ones in need of a Savior are free. What humility. Compare that to the circumcision group who came in with pride, calling them slaves. Paul is saying, you're not slaves, you're free. They're slaves. They're under the law. And then to top it off, I'm not going to go too deep into it. In verse 27, you see an Old Testament quote there that's taken from Isaiah chapter 54. And it's a chapter where God specifically talks about his salvation is for all the nations. His salvation is for everyone. His salvation is for anyone who would come and receive him as Savior. Paul had Christ-centered humility. And he's saying, anybody, I will call anyone brother, family, who are in Christ. He would pursue anyone. I imagine if Paul was here today, he would pursue those who, in our minds, are least likely to receive the gospel. When we saw the TV on Friday, he would pursue those who, in our minds, are discounted for the gospel, who we just crossed off, said they, 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 they will never receive the gospel. If Paul was here, I, I believe he would pursue them. And he said the gospel is for everyone who will receive. I pray that God will be gracious to us and give us ears that will truly hear and see with eyes that truly see what he's trying to tell us in his word. So let's, let's close with this. In order to hear God through the Bible, in order to have Christ-centered lenses on, it takes more than just me preaching one sermon Sunday morning. It takes more than me just teaching some kind of theological lesson. What we really need is not a change of mind, but it's a change of heart. I can teach all of us all the techniques to see Christ in, in, in Scripture. One, I don't have time to do that. Two, it's not what the passage is about. But three, I don't think initially the techniques and all that is what's most important right now. I can tell you how to look for Christ in every passage of the Bible. You can take lessons online to see that. You can buy the ESV Transformational Bible to do that. Better than I, job than I can ever do. But I think to truly have ears that hear and eyes that see, what must happen is we must make this more personal. We must ask ourselves, is this gospel, is this forgiveness ours? Have we truly received it? Have we looked upon God and said, I'm a sinner, I'm in need of help? Have we cried out to the Savior, not in our weakness, not in our strength, not in our self-sufficiency, but in our weakness, in our neediness, the reality of our sin not self-righteousness. Have you found freedom in him? And until this happens, we can do all the Old Testament foreshadowing of Christ. We can do all the New Testament fulfillments of Old Testament stories. We can do all the symbolism and prototypes in the Old Testament that points to Christ. 
you're not going to hear it. Has this forgiveness been planted deep in your heart? Have you been freed by what Christ has done on the cross? This is what God is telling us in the Bible. I pray that we will hear the law, hear the Bible, not just with the faculties of our mind, but with the ears of our heart, that you'd receive him in weakness, not in strength, and begin our battle against legalism as you read the scriptures with a new set of ears, a new set of eyes, beholding daily in his word your Savior, the risen Lamb, your perfect spotless righteousness, the one who has purchased you with his blood. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing Bible we have. What an amazing word you have given us that anyone who would come to you, no matter how weak, no matter how sinful, no matter how bad they deem themselves to be, you have said that nothing is too sinful for my cross. My blood is stronger than all. Lord, I believe the reason why we felt condemnation for some of those on November 4th, the reason why I watched the news and did not have mercy on them, I watched the news and felt self-righteousness and felt pride, is because I still have man-centered lenses on. Is because I don't believe that I myself am a sinner in need of forgiveness. That there's nothing about me that makes me better than anyone else. There's nothing about us that makes us better than anyone else. But all sinners, no human heroes, all in need of a heroic God, a merciful Savior. Lord, as we read the Bible in this way, as we're reminded of your truth, of your word, that you are the God of all, that you are the merciful forgiver, let it be planted deep in our hearts and let us really be changed by it, that we can go around in life not discrediting anyone from the gospel, not with self-righteousness and pompousness, thinking that because of our background, because of our ethnicity, because of our financial standing, because of our whatever it may be, social status, that we're any better. We're all equal before a holy God in need of a Savior. Let us move forward with this heart, with this mentality, with this mind, that we may pursue others who are also in need of you, just like we are, just like us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.